0: Give the Lord a good hand today. He is worthy of our praises and we just bless him today. How about an air hug this morning? Great to see you. I'm super glad that you're here and uh, you may be seated. Well, let me just say I am glad to be here and I appreciate you praying for me. I had a, uh, a battle with COVID for about two weeks and it almost got the best of me. Uh, but praise the Lord, I'm I'm here today. You know, I've talked to people, and they said, "Yeah, well, when I quarantined for COVID, I remodeled my kitchen." And I thought, "That's not, I think you just skip work for two weeks." That's not the COVID that I had. I I, I felt like uh, I felt like my wife tied a rope around my foot and hooked me to her car and just dragged me down every uh, country road in Bowie County. <laughs> But praise the Lord, I'm doing better. Uh, uh, I'm still a little weak, regaining my strength, but uh, it is an honor to be with you. I cannot tell you, last night when I walked into the church door, I thought, thank God. Thank God that I'm able to be with the people of God this weekend. But thrilled to be with you as we start this new year. Thank you. Um, I wasn't able to do a lot. Actually, I wasn't able to do anything there for a while, but uh, I, I watched a little mindless TV and I saw this old Tom Cruise movie, Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson, called A Few Good Men. I don't know if you remember it, but Tom Cruise was a Navy lawyer, and uh, he was just beginning, and he was representing two Marines that had been accused of killing one of their buddies. It was a, it was a kind of a disciplinary action, but it went sour, and uh, he killed them. Well, anyway, they're inter- he's interviewing him in Washington, and uh, he asked these Marines kind of for their code of conduct or how they lived, and they said, unit, core, God, country. In other words, their unit, their individual marine unit, their platoon, or whatever the case would be, the marine Corps as a whole, and then they were devoted to God, and then devoted to their country. Uh, and I got to thinking about core values. I got to be thinking about codes of conduct for the way we live our lives. I thought about the Boy Scouts. Every Boy Scout knows this. Uh, the, the, the moms of Boy Scouts uh, know it. Uh, The Boy Scout code of conduct says on my honor I'm going to do my best to do my duty to God to my country and to obey the Scout law and then number four I'm going to do my best to help people at all times and this is a a, a code to live by everybody's got one whether it's stated whether it's written down or not, but we have values core values that guide our life and this is what I want to talk to you about today as a fellow Christian As we go into a new year, I want to talk to you about one of the most important core values that we have as a Christian, and that is to know and apply God's Word to everyday life. To know and apply the Bible to everyday decisions that it is the the God to my life. Our text for the morning, Psalms 119, says, Your Word is, say it with me, "a, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, when you think about a light to my path, you think about darkness, and uh, the world is a confusing place. Uh, how many know many people are going away from God and not going towards God? And the Bible is how we know how to follow God, how to please God, how to live a life of, uh, of significance before God, how to get to heaven one day. The Bible is the guide for our life. Uh, if you go out at nighttime, how many know you often bring a flashlight uh, I went out in my, in my yard probably a week before I got COVID, and it was pretty cold and all. Well, I found two little dead snakes in my yard that the cat had killed, and I thought, man, these guys should be hibernating for the winter. And then I thought, well, what if I was out here at nighttime? I bet they've got a big brother, or I bet they've got a mom. Well, what a flashlight would do is it would reveal danger. It would show you the way to go, and that's what the Bible is. And it's kind of like God's GPS to happiness and significance in our life. And what I want to do to challenge you today is as we start this new year, I want to suggest to you there's a spiritual reset button. Uh, I've got Dish, whether you've got Dish or whether you've got Direct or whatever, perhaps cable TV, uh, on that receiver, if it's not working right, if it's confused, if if it's just not working, what you'll do if you call uh, call the company, what they'll always say to do is hit the red button and reset the receiver. And what I want to do this morning is I want you to do a spiritual reset in your life and make a commitment as you start 2020 that I'm going to know my Bible, I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to apply what it says in my life. Listen, it'll be absolutely life-changing. And I've simply entitled this Reset Devoted to the Bible. I think this is going to be a blessing to you. Now, I've got two major parts to my message. The first one is one of the oddest things that I've ever read in the Bible, but we're going to talk about losing the Bible. And I'm going to suggest to you that even we as Christians can lose the Bible. We can have a copy, but we can lose its influence. And then we're going to talk about the value of living by the Bible, the value of following God's Word. So I think it will help you today. Um, Let's begin, number one. We're going to go in 2 Kings chapter 22, because when we lose the Bible... As our primary source of guidance, let me tell you what happens. Our world spins out of control. Right becomes wrong and wrong becomes right. And how many can say, if it looks like America is confused right now, let me tell you what, it is confused. And the reason it's confused is we don't have moral guidance in America today. We don't have a sense of truth. We don't have God's word lighting the pathway for us to follow. So let's explore this. And and, uh, I want to begin in 2 Kings. It's an Old Testament passage, but it's about a king named King Josiah. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, the books of Kings and Chronicles, they're they're like a sine wave. It covers the nation of Israel for several hundred years. But there's good kings and bad kings. Good kings follow the Lord. Good kings you know, do what God wants them to do. They lead the nation in the right way and the nation prospers. But bad kings turn their back on God. And so implicit in turning your back on God is turning your back on the Bible. And when they do that, obviously trouble would would fall them. Well, King Josiah is a good king. And uh, after a series of bad kings... The temple, or like the church building, had fallen into disrepair. Uh, things were falling down, things were broken, things were not working. So they began collecting money and they were going to repair the temple. Now, let's pick it up here. Uh, in verse 8 Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Now, why don't you think about that just a second? Here's the, you know, a spiritual leader saying, Hey, man, we lost the Bible, but guess what? I found it when we were cleaning things up. Uh, Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan. He read it to the king. And when the king heard what was written, he tore his clothes in despair. In other words, it was an outward sign of saying, Man, we have been ignoring God's word. We have been ignoring the Bible. We've turned our back on what God said, and our nation is in a mess. Um, God's anger is burning against our ancestors because we've not obeyed the words in this scroll. Uh, We've not been doing everything that says what we must do. Let me give you a little background, then we're going to get very practical this morning. Um, When they say they lost the scroll or they lost the Bible, they were either referring to the book of Deuteronomy, which was kind of a summary of the law, or the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. In the Old Testament, it teaches us that there was in that temple in the most holy place... Think of Indiana Jones and his old movie. Remember when he the Ark of the Covenant? Well, that Ark of the Covenant had a special place in the Holy of Holies. And right beside the Ark of the Covenant was, guess what? It was this scroll of God's Word. But somehow, through a series of bad kings, whether it was Manasseh or Ammon or Ahaz, when they would turn away from God, they would bring, literally bring idols in the temple. They would worship idols. And somehow in this whole process, God's Word got lost. Now, here's the question of the day, and I want you to listen and focus on this. How could they lose the Bible and still practice their religion? How could they lose the Bible and still live in a way that pleased God? See, it's not just about being religious. It's not just about doing religious things. It's more than just going to church. It's like these guys went to church, but they had lost the, the, the sense of how to live by God's ways. And it's the same thing that happens today. Many people in our culture today reject God's, the Bible as God's authority. In other words, they simply say, the Bible, eh, it's just a book like any other book. It doesn't mean anything. But here's where I feel like we as Christians can get caught up in this. We minimize its influence. Rather than allowing the Bible to be viewed as God's Word, as what God says to us, how God wants us to live, it's almost like personal preference and cultural norms replace God's revelation. Let me say that again. Personal preference... When it comes to how I treat people, how I treat my spouse, uh, how I live, whether I tell the truth or not. Personal preference. It's like everybody else in the culture is doing it. And it really doesn't matter what God says because, you know, I've kind of made my own decision. Well, when Josiah read the Bible, uh, he tore his clothes. And it was uh, a symbolic thing because it was like he was shocked. Because he realized he'd not consulted the Bible in a long time. He'd realized that their nation was not living for God. And it's like his nation had lost the Bible. Not just as a book to have in church, but as God's word to guide their lives. Now, let's get real practical with this today. That's a little historical background. But how can we lose the Bible's influence in our life? And I want to suggest to you there's a continuum. On one end is just people that they just don't believe the Bible at all. Well, let's forget them a second, but let's look at the Christian. Let's look at the Christian. On one hand, they're deeply committed to the Bible. When they make decisions in their life, they they ask themselves, what does the Bible teach about this? How should I treat people? How should I manage my money? Uh, What should be important to me? And they really give it their all in trying to live God's ways. And then uh, the other side of the continuum is a well-meaning Christian believes in Jesus But it's almost like the Bible is secondary to what we want to do and how we want to live our lives. Let's talk a little bit now about how we can lose this influence in our life. And I want to give you one point about how people in the world react and then the rest of them about how we as Christians. Here's uh, people in the world simply reject its authority and refuse its influence. In other words, it's a defiant secular culture. Uh, Psalm 14 says, the fool says to themselves, there is no God. They sin and they commit evil deeds. None of them does what's right. And in their arrogance, they deny God and reject the Bible. Do you feel like this is a part of our culture today? I mean, it's deeper than just the fact. When I was a boy, now I'm 63. Tell your neighbor, he sure doesn't look like it. Uh, I, t- I, I did when I was in COVID. I noticed there was a couple of days my wife was taking my picture, and I thought, "Honey, is this for my obituary?" I didn't know what she. I, I didn't know what she was doing, but I was looking pretty tough there. But uh, um, how'd I get it? where was I going? We reject the Bible's influence in our life. That's kind of what secular culture does. In other words, there's a spirit in our world that says, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. There is no God, and if there's no God, there's no Bible. And, and I, it's almost like we have deified self, and we put ourself in the place of God, and it's like we determine what's right and wrong. Well, and listen, if you're here on a Sunday morning, I know that's not you. You don't have that outward defiance, but that's the spirit of the world that we live in today. Uh, When I was a boy, uh, I I can remember being in the first grade, and my principal, his name was Farron Long, and we would start our day at 8 o'clock every day of the week where uh, Principal Long would read the Bible and pray. Now, you would think today people would scream this uh, lie, separation of church and state, but that's the way we started our day. We read our Bible as students and God became in the center of everything where the world has thrown that aside. Now, I can't control them, but I I can, I think, help you today. Let me tell you how we as Christians can lose the Bible. And I don't mean you stop believing in Jesus. I don't mean you no longer believe in God. But I I mean we lose the influence of God's Word in our life. Here's the first one. Uh, We replace biblical truth with cultural or secular substitutes. In other words, we replace God's Word with, with the culture, what the culture, what the world is doing. For example, uh, let, let's talk about origins a second. Where did we come from? If you go to a science class, uh, I, I don't care if you're in elementary or if you're in college, the starting place for how we got here is a Big Bang. It's either a Big Bang or it's a pre-existing universe. And there's no God. And a Ph.D. wrote the book, well how many know even if you're a Ph.D., and I have great respect for education, if you have the wrong starting place, you're going to have some wrong conclusions. And if your starting place is there is no God, then you will not see God's hand in the orchestration of of the universe. Uh, How about where human beings came from? Uh, My wife and I went to the Smithsonian Institute a number of years ago in Washington. Uh, If you have a chance to go, i tell you what I would really go to is the Holocaust Museum. I mean, it was an amazing experience we had. We saw what happened to the Jewish people. But when we went through the Smithsonian Institute on Natural History, uh, we saw this picture of a single-cell organism. You've seen it in your science books. And it grew all the way to this hunchback monkey. And before you know it, it's got people just like you and I. And that's what the world's view is of origins, and we're taught this from birth, it's a secular concept, it's not a Biblical concept. Um, how about uh, our gender? We live in a world today that teaches us that gender is not determined by God, but you can choose whether you're a boy or a girl, or a male or female, you can be one for a little while and then you can change. Uh, when we were rational in our thinking about it, we called it gender confusion. But now, in elevating people, we kind of make it all right. So this is what I mean. It's like secular thinking uh, takes over the Bible. You say, well, Pastor, how do I know the difference? Know the Bible. How do I know the difference when I'm being fed a lie by my culture? How do I know the difference between something that's right or something that's wrong? Well, listen, we go to the Bible. The Bible is not a science book, per se, but it gives the boundaries of science. It gives the boundaries of reason for us to understand life. Now, here's the second thing. Um, We can lose the sense of God's Word as a sacred standard. Uh, Now, my mom, I have this little Bible. Normally, I have a little larger Bible with me on stage. But uh, I looked at this in my office uh, yesterday, and my mom gave this to me for Christmas when I was in 1976. That was the same year I committed my life to Christ. And guess what it says on the side? Holy Bible. Bible. Then you say Bible. Now, how many know the Bible is a collection of 66 books inspired by God that form one cohesive whole with one central message? But it's the word Holy Bible. Uh, it's missing in our culture today. 2 Timothy 3 says every scripture is God-breathed. It's given by his inspiration. This word holy, it means uh, it's consecrated. It's set apart for sacred use. As opposed to ordinary or common, uh, many people will tell you, well, the Bible is just another religious book. If you were to go to Books a Million, uh, I, I don't know if they have a section on Bibles. I hope they do. But they could well have a section on religious books. And the Bible would just be one of many in that book. That's the world that we live in today. Uh, many people would say the Bible is just philosophy. But I want you to, if I could give you an example of holiness. If you were raised in the Catholic tradition, uh, and it t- came time for communion, it was a very different experience than what we experience as Protestants. Catholics uh, have a doctrine, I believe it's called transubstantiation. I could be wrong. But what it literally means is when the priest pours the wine in the cup, that that wine, when he prays over it, that it literally becomes the blood of Christ. And what happens in communion, they drink the wine, the blood of Christ, uh, they eat the bread, the literal body of Christ, and when communion's over, if there's some leftover wine, the priest drinks it. Uh, hopefully, there's not too much leftover wine, but uh, he drinks the wine, and then he takes a, a white cloth that's representing purity, and he wipes the cup, because it's a recognition in their, in their understanding is that uh, the blood of Christ is holy. Well, can I tell you this book when we lose the sense that it is the holy Word of God? That it is sacred. It's not just a book on the level of other books that I'd read. It's not just on the level of, of, uh, 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 of other sources of authority. It is the authority. It is God's word for life. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good hand today. Now, we're talking about losing the Bible. These next two are, are, are most relevant to me. Uh, and, and here's the first one. Uh, a gradual process can occur... In which the Bible moves from our heart to the shelf. Uh, Let me read Psalm 119. The psalmist said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In other words, the Bible is the path of life. It shows me the right and wrong way to live. I've hidden it in my heart. Now, why would this happen when we move the Bible from our heart to our shelf? Well, I want to suggest to you, it's, what, it's when our relationship with Jesus changes. Now, I don't know about you. Uh, I, I have had times, I became a Christian in 1976, August 15th, 1976. I want to commend you that early in the service today when uh, one of our pastors asked if you wanted to commit your life to Christ to get right with God. Uh, it, it's the turning point of life. And uh, I committed my life to Christ that day, and I have never fallen away from Jesus. I have never uh, believed that Allah was the way to heaven. I've never followed the prophet Muhammad. Uh, I've never followed the teachings of Confucius. I've never become an atheist or an agnostic. But there's been times in my Christian life when I've been more on fire for God, when I've been closer in my relationship with God, There's been times it's like a a fire. How many know your fire can burn brightly? uh, But there's also times when the fire gets dim. Uh, We've got a a, a stove in our house, a a fireplace insert, and we just love it. But how many know you've got to keep feeding logs in that fire? Uh, we were watching TV Friday night, and we'd run out of logs, and neither one of us wanted to go out in the cold and get any more. And my wife said, do, do we need another log or not? And I said, no, just grab a blanket, and uh, we'll go to bed when, when that log dies. Well, that's what can happen in your spiritual life. And when you or I begin to drift in our personal relationship with Jesus, what happens is we lose the Bible as God's, you know, God book for our life. They just go hand in hand. I have never in my life met a deeply, a dedicated, committed Christian, someone living the Christian life that didn't do three things. They loved Jesus, they read their Bible, they prayed, and they went to church. It was just part of the fabric of their life. But when their heart began to drift to the Lord, uh, it could be because sin came in their life. You know, just how many know sin can come in your life? You can You can get addicted to pornography. You can start watching it, and before you know it, you feel guilt, you feel shame. And before you know it, you're not reading your Bible anymore. You believe this lie that you're not worthy. And before you know it, sin can come in, or maybe just worldliness. Uh, Maybe you become ambitious, whether it's towards school or towards work or whatever the case is, and God just gets kind of pushed to the side. But I want to say, if this is resonating with you right now, and you feel like you've lost that sense of a passion for the Bible, of reading the Bible, and, and, and find pleasing in doing the Lord's will, maybe it's because you've drifted in your relationship with God. And my intent today is not to judge you or beat you up, but simply to say, get back on board. Get back on board and make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. Put Him first, and having no reading the Bible will follow easily. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. Let me give you another one. It's the greatest temptation for me. And I'm going to say it this way. Our love for the Bible gets lost in the weeds. Uh, How many people play golf or play at golf? Raise your hand at me. Let me see here. Uh, Not very many of you. Uh, I'm a a, a whacker, a hacker. Uh, I might go with my son sometimes. I might play with a preacher. But I've got this problem. Uh, I will start out with a dozen golf balls and end up with maybe one or two. Uh, I gauge whether I had a good day at the course or not, whether I ended up with any golf balls when I came. <laughs> well, because here's what happened, and it is the craziest thing. I stand on top of that little ball, I bring my club straight back, and I swing, and that little ball, it goes, I don't know what, maybe 75 yards, and then it just starts twisting to the right, or it starts twisting to the left. And I have to find a big pine tree or something, and I go, and I'm searching in the weeds for my ball. And uh, uh, how many golfers can say, I hear what you're saying, preacher? That's why I don't play very much either. But do you know the Bible? The Bible, the same thing can happen with the Bible in our life. We can lose it in the weeds. Now, this is a big one. You remember when Jesus talked about the parable of the sower? And he likened the effect of the Word of God in people's lives. And the first thing Jesus said was, some uh, the word of God is, is, is on a path and the birds come and eat it up, symbolic of the devil taking it away. Sometimes the words of the word of God gets sown in a rocky place and it begins to grow, but a drought crumbs uh, and it doesn't have any root, so it falls away. But listen to what he said. Now, we're talking about lost in the weeds. He said, the seed of the word of God that fell among thorns represent those who hear God's word but say it with me, the, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. Now, these are not bad, sinful things. This is just the complexity of life. I'll tell you, one of the most frustrating things to me, one of the most uh, useful yet frustrating things to me in my life today is my iPhone. And I'll tell you why. Sometimes I make the mistake of asking someone to send me notifications. And that silly thing beeps at the craziest time. And before you know it, if you let too many people start notifying you, somebody else is running your life and not you. Yeah, yeah. It's like things that are good, are, 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 but they're not evil or bad, but they're controlling your life. And I want to suggest to you, sometimes our world gets like that. It can be our hobby, it can be our jobs, it can be a myriad of things. It, 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 but yet, God's Word just gets squeezed out because we become so worldly minded. We're so concerned about whether it's making money, enjoying ourselves, our hobbies, our pleasures, and all these things. And I don't want to beat you up. Listen, I, I am uh, uh, actually, my mom, when I had this little joke the other day, I, I told her, I said, Mom, I'm kind of bummed out. I hadn't got to go duck hunting but one time this year because of this stupid COVID. And uh, she said, well, maybe they'll extend the season for you. Now, uh, I know mom is sweet, but I don't think she has any influence over the Arkansas game and fish or, 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 or other institutions. I just love to do it. I love to turkey hunt. These are things that, are, that I just love in my life. Uh, I love my yard. Uh, uh, after being in the house two weeks, I went outside and I went out to my garden. I, I, I loved a garden. And uh, I saw some broccoli that I'd planted in October, and it, was, it had a head on it about that big. And it just kind of brought me great joy. Let well, I me mean, know these are good things. Uh, my wife and I have been uh, having a little battle in the Miller home for probably three years because my wife wanted to paint some of the house. Only problem, though, is I like the color that we had. Uh, and uh, I'll I tell you what I did. I gave in because I just got tired every night of having the door locked in the bedroom. I just decided it was better to have cream-colored walls than, than the walls that I like. But I love our house. I love our house. My wife lets me put uh, turkey tails or mounted turkeys around it, you know, just enough. But I just love my house. I love my fireplace. I love everything about it. I love my furniture. But sometimes the love for these kind of things can cause us to lose God's word in the weeds. And I'm not telling you not to have nice things in life. I'm just saying as you start this new year, maybe it's a good idea to declutter your life a little bit and make place in your life. Maybe you go to bed a little bit earlier. You know, we have a church Bible app Download it. I read it every day in Old and New Testament. Well, how many know if you go to bed at one o'clock, you're probably not going to get up at 630 and take 20 minutes and read your Bible. Declutter your life a little bit. Find a way to give yourself time and space every day to read God's Word. Because I tell you, if you do, life's going to turn out better. It, it, It just will. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Now, let me sh- shift in the last 15 minutes. Why should we devote ourselves to following God's Word? Now, this is big today because we live in a world today uh, that you just don't hear what I'm saying right now. You will not hear what I'm saying right now anywhere apart from Christian TV or Christian music or in a church service. It's nowhere in our culture. But let me give you a few things about why you and I as Christians should be devoted To knowing and following God's word. Here's the first one. If you've got your Bible. John 17. The Bible is the source of absolute truth. Now if you're in a philosophy class today. The teacher will tell you there's no such thing as absolute truth. But let me tell you what Jesus said in John 17. Jesus said speaking to the father. Jesus said your word is. Is truth. Your word is truth. Truth. Now, what does the word truth mean? It's a very simple definition. Truth simply means that that which is real. And our world doesn't know the difference between true and false. Reality today is determined by the opinion of man and not God. Whereas truth, according to the Bible, is timeless. It is irrespective of culture and, and, and current opinion. Psalm 119 says this, The sum of your word is truth. The sum of the Bible is truth. Every one of your righteous rules endures forever. How many know modern culture rejects this idea of truth? Look at the subject of abortion. We're about to see in America today, because of the election, a radical shift in the number of children that, whose lives are taken. Well, let me ask you this question. Is it right or is it wrong? that a human being in the womb should be protected rather than murdered? Right I mean, how do we know? Because everything in your world, everything you're taught, you're taught about the right to choose. Uh, you're taught about, I don't know, not feeling fetal pain. on no, 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 no. But somewhere in this discussion is a sense that there's right and there's wrong. There's something that's true and there's something that's real. And it's God's Word. That's why when I talk to you about the Bible, I'm not talking just about some historical book. I'm talking about the reality, the veracity of what God would tell us what's right and wrong. How about, again, about origins? Uh, You can be a Christian scientist and believe Genesis 1-1 is the starting place, not the Big Bang. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As a Christian scientist... That's the starting place for what I believe. How about about gender? Am I going to allow, am am I going to go to Facebook or some other uh, group and pick from dozens of genders that I can choose from? Am I going to believe that I have the right to determine if I'm a male or a female? Or has God created me male or female? See, Genesis teaches us this. In the beginning, God created them male or female. Well, this is where culture collides. How about marriage? What's right with marriage? Is an open marriage okay? Is it okay for a man to marry a man? Is it it okay for uh, a dad to marry his daughter? How do we know these type things in life? Well, we go to the Bible because the Bible is truth. The world may reject the truth of the Bible, but I don't know about you, but I'm going to believe it. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. I'm going to believe it. And I see as my number one role as your pastor, as a teaching pastor, is to teach you what the Bible says. And if you will come on Sundays, if you'll come on Saturday and stay with me, I will do my best every week to give you subjects that are relevant in our culture and our world today and give you a biblical foundation with sometimes dozens of verses that make a biblical perspective of life. Let me give you the second reason why we should devote ourselves to following the Bible uh, it's similar to the word truth, but it's a little bit different. The Bible is the source of moral right and wrong. Now, the word moral simply means right and wrong behavior. In other words, how we act. Is what we do, is it right or is it wrong? Second Timothy chapter 3, it's a profound verse. Paul the Apostle says, All Scripture is inspired by God, which means God, um, he didn't dictate it and people were just like little drones, but somehow he influenced the writers of Scripture to write. But notice what it says. It says God's Word is useful to teach us what is true true and make us realize what is wrong wrong in our lives. Uh, Again, moral means right and wrong behavior. Now, let me contrast it to what we have in America today in America today we have what's called situation ethics And uh, I I saw, I was just looking for the definition, and uh, Google, uh, I don't use Google, actually, I use DuckDuckGo, but uh, it populated on my computer a definition of Wikipedia. Now, I don't particularly trust Wikipedia because it can change every day. I mean, it is a great example of truth not being uh, fixed, but about truth being fluid and relative. Well, here's what they say about situation ethics. Situation ethics takes into account the context of an act when evaluating it, rather than judging it according to absolute moral standards. In other words, let's talk about adultery. Adultery is, uh, uh, for example, uh, I'm, I'm married. I've been married to Linnell 37, 37 years. She's nodding her head. Well, if I were to get a girlfriend on the side, I would be committing adultery. Well, here's the question. Is that right or is it wrong? And is it wrong just because I'm a preacher? Or is it wrong because it's an absolute standard, a moral standard of right and wrong that God's given all of us? Now listen, I'm fully aware that we live in a world today that many of us are pulled and we're tempted. Let me say this. God can forgive us, God can heal our marriage, and God can get us back on track. I've seen it many, many times. So don't beat yourself up if you've gotten off track on this one. But listen, uh, is it wrong? And here's what situation ethics would say. Situation ethics would say, Yeah, but there's this new uh, 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 guy at work. And man, he makes me feel happy. Uh, He takes me out to lunch. And I feel attracted to him. And listen now, because I feel attracted to him, it must be right. Here's what situation ethics says. Situation ethics says, well, she just doesn't look the way that, you know, she did in her bikini then when we got married. And I told her the day I married her, if she ever, you know, put on a little excess weight there, I didn't know if I could handle it. And, and she just has forgotten that, so off I go. Is it right or is it wrong? See, this is, and this is uh, something that's missing in America. How about this? Is it right or is it wrong to lie and cheat to steal an election? Let me tell you what uh, uh, Leviticus 19 says. You must not steal, you must not cheat people, and you must not lie to each other. Well, now listen, next week we may talk about the election. Uh, Next week I I may well talk about, uh, as a pastor, uh, as a Bible believer, kind of what next uh, a Christian view of, of, of where America's heading, how I should be living. But let me say this, you absolutely have to have your head buried in the sand to know there was n- not some level of deception in our past election. How about if I'm an election administrator? Uh, and how about if I know that there are hundreds or thousands of dead people on my rolls? Yet I refuse to remove them from my voter rolls Because I want my side to win the election. See, this is where biblical morality confronts our world today. Because situation ethics says, you just do whatever you have to do to get what you want. And what you want, what the goal is, that's what's right. Can I tell you, friends, we're all exposed to this every day of our life, and just because the world says that it's right doesn't mean that it's right. I don't know about you, but I'm going to go God's way every time. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Uh, th- these next two, I think, are the most important. Uh, the Bible provides a trustworthy source of perspective for life on earth. Now, I, I want you to think of the word Perspective. Um, And I got to be honest with you, there are are, are portions of our election uh, across America that didn't go like I'd hoped and prayed. I'm very concerned about our future for me. I'm concerned about our kids. Maybe I'm too concerned. Maybe the last six months, I got too concerned about an election on earth rather than a focus on my heavenly mission. Maybe I got too concerned about things that I can't control here in this little world called earth, in my little world here, and I lost some perspective on life. The Bible teaches us that earth is not our home. The Bible teaches us that we're a stranger passing through. Listen to what Hebrews 11 says. It says they agreed that they were, th- these are uh, great men and women of faith, Uh, They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads on the earth. Now think about that. Remember I told you about my little home? I love my little home. I love 11 Timberlake Drive. I love to. I have a gravel driveway. Uh, I had a contractor come by not too long ago and said he wanted to pave my gravel driveway. And I said, I like my gravel driveway. It reminds me of being a kid. It's just idyllic. I step back into my past. And I love my home. But I don't want to love it too much. I want to keep this sense that earth is not my home. I want to keep the perspective that there's something more important than everyday life here on this earth. I want to live with eternity in mind. And the Bible will help me do that. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Let me give you another one that is very different from the Bible is truth. The Bible is a source of morality. But the Bible is a source of personal comfort, strength, and guidance. Now, now this is probably the most practical thing that I'm going to say to you all day. Uh, When I was 20 years old, I got off the plane in Adak, Alaska. Uh, It was my duty station. I was there for 18 months. I didn't know a soul. I was a young Christian, and I got off with two things. I got off with this green uh, North Face backpack, and I got off with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and God will direct your pathways. And can I tell you this? I got off that airplane with a confidence in God's word that God was going to lead me to Christian fellowship, that he was going to lead me to a good place in Adak, Alaska. Uh, I, just recently, uh, when, when I was in the midst of my little COVID deal, uh, m- my wife nurse and, and, and my daughter nurse's, were concerned about me. Three people in our home tested positive, but I was the only one that seemed to be sick. So they got this little meter that read uh, your uh, um, uh, oxygen level. And uh, unfortunately, I have cold fingers. I guess my circulation doesn't quite make it out far enough. And that meter was reading low. And uh, it was reading in the 80s, and uh, they looked at me like I was going to die. And uh, they called my doctor, and the doctor said, well, he needs to go to the hospital. And uh, that's just too low. So uh, here I am. I get my little satchel, my backpack. I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to have to stay in the hospital. I've got my, some clothes, some pajamas. I've got, you know, some medicine and other stuff in it. And I walked in St. Michael's. Linnell couldn't come with me. I walk in by myself. But you know what? I didn't just walk in with a little backpack there. I walked in with Isaiah 41.10. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. I'm telling you, friends, God's Word in situations in life has the power to sustain us like nothing else. Yeah. See, probably six years ago, when uh, after Linnell's breast cancer, I started having panic attacks and an anxiety disorder. And I, I just absolutely didn't know if I was going to be able to function and re-engage life. I took three months, uh, uh, three months off the ministry, and there's this fear I get up every day, am I going to be able to make it? But you know what? Something began to emerge in my heart. It was Philippians 1.6. He, speaking of Jesus, he who began the good work in me, he's going to bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And I found through the Bible a sense of hope, a sense of strength, a sense of guidance. Listen, that's taken me every step of the way. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. There is nothing more valuable than that. Listen, I want to close today uh, back from where we started. Remember the King Josiah when they found the Bible? Uh, Listen to what he said after they found the Bible and then he started reading it in 2 Kings 23. And I'll close with this. The king read the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. Say this with me. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commands, laws, and decrees. Here's a big one with... All his heart and his soul. Well, listen, here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you as you start 2021 to make a fresh commitment that you're going to be someone who reads their Bible every day. That you're going to be someone, and if you miss a day, don't beat yourself up. Just pick it up tomorrow. That you're going to be someone that reads the Bible, whether you use our church app or something else. I I hope you join me. But you're going to read your Bible every day, but you're going to do your best to apply it to the situations of life. And friends, this is one of the greatest core values that you can embrace as you go in 2021. I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to apply it every day of my life. I'm going to hit a spiritual reset. What's today, January 11th? The 10th. I'm going to hit a spiritual reset button on January 10th. And I'm going to begin to make place in my Bible for God's Word. And I'm going to do like James says. I'm not just going to be somebody who listens to the Bible and forgets it. I'm going to be somebody who does what it says. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of all our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet, and we're going to have a, a closing prayer today. Uh, I am thrilled that you're here today, and I am thrilled to be here. Uh, I'm glad to be with you in, the, in, in, in this service today. Uh, don't forget Wednesday night we'll have some of our elders who be speaking on Wednesday night. Be a great midweek little boost here. But we want to close our service this way. We're going to have a last song, and during this song, if you're here and uh, you want somebody to pray for you before you go. There'll be men and women around the altar that'll be happy to do that. They'll pray with anything about your life or maybe maybe a family member or a friend that needs God's help in some way. This is a wonderful time to do it. But I want to encourage you most importantly, when Pastor Mike shared earlier in the service today, or you're here today and you just feel a need in your life to get right with God, don't lose that. It's more than just going to church. We want to help Pray we want to pray with you. We want to actually help you take this next step towards beginning your life with Christ and becoming the person God wants you to be. We want to help you understand forgiveness. We want to help you understand receiving Christ as your Savior. Pastor Mike, why don't you just walk over to the cross right now? And during this song, whether you lifted your hand or not during the service, but you want to commit your life to Christ today, I'm going to encourage you to meet Him at the cross. Prayer team, why don't you come to the front right now, and they're going to be here for you. We're going to sing this last song, and then we'll dismiss. We've got four doors that you can exit. Uh, If you uh, wanted to actually give your offering a check or cash, there'll be buckets that you can do it. You bring your visitor's card in the lobby as well. But let's go ahead and sing this last song. If you need prayer, you come. We're here for you. But most importantly, make a step to Jesus at that cross. It'll change your life. I love you. Thank you for being here today.